Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. I am so grateful to be here with you, CCC. There's so many CCs since I've been here in the Maryland area. You know, I've only been here for just over a year and a half. Um, Just a little bit about me. I, I grew up in an Adventist Christian home, Brooklyn, left at seven years old, and went down to South Florida, was there for 20 years. And so I'm not really excited about the weather we're having. I'm really excited to see the sun that we have out here. My wife is from Jamaica, born and raised, so we're waiting for spring, so pray, pray for us, please. Um, I have only been a pastor for a year and a half, but many would tell you that I had been pastoring for many years before that. <laughs> Uh, trying to do the tent making, and um, I studied business and uh, was a recruiter with uh, an international recruiting firm, running from God. And you know you can't run away from him too long before he catches up to you. And he caught up with me in a very, very dramatic way in Atlanta, Georgia, got my attention. And yeah, I was a, I was a tough recruit. And by the way, I'm really glad that we have this set up here. I really like to be close to the congregation and just talk to you. Um, and so that's, that's just been my, my journey in a nutshell. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very humbled and honored um, to be brought here, Pastor Wimbish. Uh, I've heard some people say, oh, he's the small groups expert or uh, specialist, I think was the word, or uh, um, yeah. That's, that's, that's so humbling. I really appreciate that. I have been doing um, small group ministry now for over 10 years, but I in no way consider myself to have ever arrived or um, to know it all. I consider myself a fellow traveler, journeying with you as the body of Christ as we seek to be conformed into his image. But I am really looking forward to our time today. I think we're going to have a good time. I think we're going to have a good time this afternoon, tomorrow morning. I want to thank you, Pastor Wimbish, for the invitation. I want to thank the leadership team here. And I got a chance to be with you in your small groups this morning. I really like the eating together uh, breakfast that you guys have once a month. And so I was really encouraged and blessed by that. How many of you know food is evangelistic? I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to journey there, beginning in about verse 38. And I know that our theme this weekend is small groups, but how many of you know that the first small group was the Godhead themselves? They existed in eternity past, in sacred fellowship, as a holy unit of three in one. They lived in utter selflessness each living completely for 
the other. They were the divine and are the divine community. They are relationships, sacred friendship existing from eternity past. I, I know it's almost impossible for us, but if we could somehow just try and get a glimpse of what that was like. Have you ever been in an environment, and I know this comes very close to it here at CCC, where everyone is living, elder, for the other? 100% purely for the service of somebody else. No selfishness is staining. Nobody has a reputation to gain. And they're God. From eternity past, in this type of other-centered community experience, before they ever created anything. And it's even communicated in the very name of God, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, that name there is Elohim. And Elohim in the Hebrew, if you can wrap your mind around this, is a singular plurality. Any of our English teachers here this morning? It would be the equivalent if I had introduced myself this morning to you. Good morning, I am CJ's. This is Elohim. Even in the very beginning of the story of Scripture, God is introducing us to a communal reality of other-centered love. It's from this reality that we understand in that verse in 1 John 4, 8. I'll just, I'll just quote it to you. You could probably recite it from memory. But 1 John 4, 8 and 16, God is love. Those are three of the most powerful words that you could ever utter in quoting Scripture because it permeates the rest of the storyline of Scripture. We fell out of love in the garden. Christ came to restore us back to that love. As a matter of fact, on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus was praying to the Father, and Jesus echoing back to the experience that he had in that divine community all the way from eternity past, John 17, 24, Jesus praying to the Father, he says, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. One of the last things he ever said before his crucifixion to his disciples, he wanted them to hear this prayer to the Father. He wanted them to understand this was the kind of experience that I had with him, and this is the kind of experience I need you to have with him. And if we were in community, what makes you think you're any different? Out of this experience of love within the divine community came the desire to create. If you're experiencing something, if any of you are like me with a Jamaican background and you have some good ackee and salt fish and, and, some, and some frittas and so forth, then, uh, then, then when you have something good, you can't keep it to yourself. Amen? Amen? Love was so powerful in their experience from eternity past, it had to be shared. Some people would wonder, why would God create a, a creation where with free will someone could reject that love and bring us into that type of experience? But for some reason, because God is love, he believes loving you is worth it. Creating you is worth it. Whether you respond to his love or not. We cannot fathom that type of love because of our sinful nature. 
But if God is love, here comes the desire now to create out of this divine communal experience that he had within the Godhead, he creates, and the crowning act we know of his creation was to create you and I, Adam and Eve. Here they are on the dawning of earth's history, made in the very image of God. They were to reflect the other-centered love within community. We call it marriage or the human family designed to reflect the very unity, oneness, and love within the Godhead itself. They were to, re- they were to, to replicate, if you will, the life of the divine community. So when sin entered the world, it broke the other-centered love within community, the breaking of relationships that had existed as God intended it to exist. So when Jesus entered our world to restore us now, follow me, back to the image of God, back to the image of the divine community, it shouldn't surprise us that one of the first things that Jesus does at the very outset of his ministry is he establishes community with 12 disciples. Jesus, in his own ministry, was replicating the life of the Godhead. Jesus himself doesn't even conduct his own ministry outside of community. They eat with him. They sleep with him. He pours his life. It's not a, I'm going to come and talk to you, mentor you for a little while, and then go back to my hotel, and then maybe come back maybe a few months later, follow up with you. No, Come and see, Jesus said in John 1. They stayed with him. They lived with him. They did life together. In essence, Jesus, when he was crucified and then he rose again and then he gives instructions to the disciples and he says, go and make disciples, go and establish other communities. In other words, Jesus is saying, you see what I did with you for three and a half years? With you, the twelve. I want you now to go and do the same thing. Establish other communities. And so this becomes the the compelling nature, the, the compelling beauty of the divine community replicated in the disciples of Jesus Christ and then ultimately replicated in the early church. And so you may be asking there in your pew, you may be saying, so what is so compelling What is so compellingly beautiful about this community that Jesus is calling his disciples to build? Jesus tells us in John chapter 13 and verse 35, he says, but by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's so many things that we would love to be identified by. But if the Godhead themselves are described, 1 John 4, 8, as love, would it not make sense that those that are being replicated into the very image of God would be known primarily by the same characteristic? This is the oneness and loving community that was to characterize all that they did, all that they preached. This was what got the attention of the then-known world and drew people into the kingdom of God. So urgent was this desire of Jesus that one of the last things he prayed to his father, you know, one of the most important things that people will say is right before they're about to pass. 
Jesus says some of the most important things that he ever wanted his disciples to hear in John 17. And in John 17, verse 23, he says, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me. Did you catch that? Jesus was passionately praying for loving unity to be revealed in his church because when the world sees that, then they're going to believe that God sent Jesus. You're taking that way too quietly. Do we see a lot of disunity right now in the body of Christ? Are we not noticing in our country a rising secular, secular lifestyle? Could it be it's a reaction of what they're not seeing in us? Jesus said, when they begin to see this loving unity amongst the body of Christ, then they're going to believe that Jesus was sent by the Father. One of the last things that Jesus prayed. How important is that for us to, to try and by the power of the Holy Spirit replicate the kind of loving unity that Jesus prayed his church would have. Well, I believe that Jesus sent me here this morning. And I believe, because I know the enemy's been messing with me all week, that what we're going to talk about today, by God's grace, will help us encounter four essential truths that are necessary in order to reveal the compelling beauty of the divine community in our midst. So I invite you, your tablets, your Bibles, take it out. We're going to go ahead and pray right now. Father in heaven, I'm asking that you'd remove anything that distracts us right now. Help us, God, to please get a glimpse of who you are. Help us to see a, a, a revelation of the divine community, Lord, that, that eclipses every other distraction, every other sin, every other worry and concern that absorbs our attention. May we behold you, and in so doing, become changed. Thank you so much, God, for the humble and awesome privilege it is to be used as unworthy as I am to communicate to your people the goodness of the gospel. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, amen. It's 31 AD, and the Holy Spirit has fallen on 120 believers that were gathered in an upper room. The Holy Spirit's presence and power was so powerfully manifested that the Bible tells us that he came in like a mighty rushing wind in that upper room. And it wasn't long before many people began to gather outside that upper room in Jerusalem. And then the Bible records that one of the most powerful sermons ever recorded in the New Testament is preached by Peter. You know, one of the things that some of us were talking about this morning in our small group discussion is how can God use us when the enemy is telling us that we're not worthy, we're not good enough to actually share the gospel? And I was quickly reminded by the Holy Spirit in that moment and what some, so, someone else said something. At this point, when Peter preaches this sermon in Acts chapter 2, do you realize that Peter was a bigot? I'm talking about Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Still had an issue with Gentiles. You see it in Acts chapter 10 the story with Cornelius. 
He had to bring witnesses when he went to go see Cornelius to say, hey, this, this was a God thing. This wasn't me. Peter stands up, preaches one of the most powerful sermons recorded. And I, I, I just love it because Peter has just one burden. Peter has one subject. Peter has one expositional thought. It came from a lived experience in reality. One topic that embraced all doctrine, Jesus. Crucified. Resurrected. And though Peter was the main spokesperson, the Bible tells us that they were all preaching the wonderful works of God. You see, community is compellingly, compellingly beautiful when it connects people to Jesus. Community is compellingly beautiful when it connects people to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is attractive. Make no mistake, Jesus is the main attraction in these last days. It's Jesus that draws sinners to repentance. You know, I'll never forget, I was in Atlanta, Georgia. This was a three-year period of time in my life where God was, was working on my heart to finally surrender to becoming a pastor and leaving my, my profession. And around this time, we had a small group in our home. That's a story within itself because our home was, was in danger of foreclosure. Yet I said, God, I'm going to do whatever I can to, to use this house for your glory. And so the Lord, through invitation of uh, our pastor introducing us to this, this young couple that lived not too far from our church, the couple, the wife, was a Pentecostal. You know, she was raised Pentecostal. Her family was a prominent Pentecostal family in one of the local churches in that area. And I'll never forget that as they became a part of our small group and we studied the scriptures together, and we learned to love one another, and we realized that we had some similar things in common, we began to come across in scripture some of our unique teachings as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. And I remember at this time, the Lord was doing a work in my life to make sure that any teaching, any story that I, that I expound on in the scripture needs to have as its central focus the love of God is revealed in Jesus and him crucified. And I remember, because she already had a walk with Jesus, all right, that everything I teached her from the Word of God that was unique to what we believed, I said, this is how Jesus is revealed, and that Jesus is the focus of the Sabbath because we're resting in Him, we're not working for our salvation. It's a memorial of creation, but it's also pointing to the fact that I now rest in Jesus for my salvation. I don't got to work for it. Thank you, Jesus. I'm looking forward to the glorious soon coming of Jesus because he'll bring all suffering and pain that I'm experiencing now to an end. The judgment is good news because I'm in Christ. I don't need to fear the judgment. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And everything that I shared with her, she ate it up. She said, yeah, I was studying that. I didn't realize how that connected with Jesus. How soon can I be baptized into your church? The first person that the Holy Spirit ever entrusted me, because I didn't do anything, what the Holy Spirit entrusted me to participate in, I wasn't a pastor at this time. I was just working alongside with my pastor. And I told my pastor, he said, CJ, I want you in the pool with me as we baptize her. That experience changed my life. That experience caused me to say, yes, Jesus, I'll be a pastor. You see, because it's compellingly beautiful, everything that we believe and teach and experience in our community of faith finds its beauty in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
You see, it's in the context of loving community that we are to connect people to Christ, his truth, and his church. And in my experience, in that order, to Christ, to the truth as it is in Christ, and then to his body. You know, I love what Auntie Ellen says uh, in this particular quote that she gives us in 1888 Selected Messages. She says this. I love it. And when you hear it as a Seventh-day Adventist, ears perk up. Listen to what she says. She says, the end is near. You ready for that? The end is near. We have not a moment to lose, exclamation point. Light is to shine forth from God's people in clear, distinct rays, bringing Jesus, bringing Jesus before the churches and before the world. Now watch this. One interest will prevail. One subject will swallow up every other, Christ, our righteousness, period. The end is near. Jesus needs to be our central focus. Did you catch that? I love it. She's saying Jesus needs to be brought more prominently to the world as the root, center, and substance of every doctrine we teach. The gospel is to become the center of every teaching. And, you know, as I studied the sermon by Peter, I, I discovered in Acts chapter 2, I discovered that within his, his sermon on Pentecost was referenced several of our unique teachings of Seventh-day Adventists. Did you know that? Yet one subject swallowed them all up. You left with, I need to repent, and I need to join Jesus and his church. I want to tell you, friends, oh, she goes on to say, I'm sorry, she goes on to say, hanging upon the cross was the gospel. Hanging upon the cross, Christ, rather, was the gospel. Watch this. This is our message, our argument, our doctrine, our warning to the impenitent, our encouragement for the sorrowing, the hope of every believer. Sum it up, she's basically telling us that the most compellingly beautiful thing that a person should discover in a Seventh-day Adventist church is how high we lift up Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you today, does this characterize your experience? Has he become the center of everything that we believe in our community of faith, or is he just the milk? Is he the center of our witness? Is he the story that we're telling others? You see, it's not always about what you say. Did you catch that? It is, it is Francis of Assisi who has been famous to have said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, Use words. You see, the gospel is not just what we preach, but primarily what we are to live. And it's as you live the gospel that your words will come forth with compelling beauty. And as Adventists, you know, we love it when we see people respond to the message and get baptized. Uh, had we been there in Jerusalem after Peter had preached and all those people got baptized, we would have celebrated the establishment of the first megachurch of over 3,000 members, as though the job had been done. However, 
in the Great Commission. After Jesus says, baptize them, he says, and to teach them all things that he had commanded them. And so really, the work had just started. Let's see how they fulfill the second half of the Great Commission. Go with me to verse 42. Verse 42. The Bible says, and they continued what? Oh, that was weak. Let's start getting into dialogue with each other this morning. And they continued what? Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And in prayers. So obviously teaching preceded baptism and it came after baptisms. Yet... What was so amazing in the context in which they continued in the teaching or the apostles' doctrine is that they grew both personally and in fellowship with one another because community is compellingly beautiful when it helps people grow in Jesus. When it helps people grow in Jesus. Yet it's not our responsibility, watch this, to cause them, to cause them to grow into Christian maturity. We talked about that in one of our groups this morning. It is simply our responsibility to create the environment for growth. The rest is up to the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like farming, agriculture, right? Farmers prepare the soil, they plant the seed, they make sure that it has water and it's nurtured, they make sure that it's getting enough sunlight, but they're not standing over the seed saying, grow, grow, grow. They're not doing that. There's nothing that they can somehow arbitrarily do to actually cause growth. It's something that happens within the seed itself naturally, organically. They're simply there to set the environment for growth to take place. And so here, we see that the early church grew in Jesus, and this is how they did it. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. CJ, what is that? That means that they taught them the Bible in the light of the cross and the teachings of Jesus. However, the context for this continuing in the word experience was surrounded by fellowship. Fellowship. That means that the environment they created was also a social environment. Many historians that were around in that time said that many of the people in the, in the Roman society that were looking on at the early Christians saw it primarily as this big social club, this social gathering. They were so social. They were always hanging out together. Why is it that people of so many different backgrounds want to be together so much? They broke bread together. In other words, they ate together. I mentioned earlier that food is evangelistic. Food is evangelistic. I said food is evangelistic. Yes, Lord. You know, bonding takes place over meals. Relationships are formed. People feel more comfortable with you when they're sitting down and eating a meal with you and they get to know who you are. They hear your stories. It's so serious that in the Middle East, and I went over to the Middle East in 2013 on the New Testament tour at Andrews University, it is so serious in the Middle East 
that if you sit down to go eat with someone, number one, if someone invites you, it's understood that you're not paying. Whoever invites you, it is just culture, they're paying. And when you go, and you happen to be American and you forgot that little cultural nuance, and you now take out your card to go and pay, it's insulting. It's highly insulting. Because they're basically saying, I got you. When you sit down and eat in the Middle East and in the time of Jesus, sitting down to eat with someone meant I identify with you. You're my brother. We're here. That's why Jesus received so many severe criticisms because he ate and drank with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors because they were like, this guy is saying he identifies with them. <laughs> and I'm discovering more and more as I study, Pastor, that the ministry of Jesus is more social than I thought. Now, he's spending a lot of time just, just hanging out, if you will, with the most unlikely of people. And then he preaches from time to time, teaches his disciples and heals some people and, and so forth. But he's spending a lot of time creating relationships. Creating relationships. Mm, mm, mm. And so it's this kind of community that was formed in the early church. It created the perfect type of environment for the Holy Spirit to now grow disciples. The experience of growing disciples, uh, the experience of growing as a disciple, rather, of Jesus Christ was also intended to be done in community. In community. The idea, I want you to hear me on this one, the idea of living out one's Christianity as a private, isolated thing is foreign to the Bible and a contradiction in terms. I'm going to say it one more time. The idea of living out one's Christianity as a private enterprise, isolated from other people, is foreign to the Bible and a contradiction in terms. I love how Kim Allen Johnson, one of my favorite authors, puts it in his book, The Team. Uh, he's quoting Larry Crabb when he says, Christianity is about the life of the Trinity released in human community. Ben Johnson says, experiencing, now he's commenting on this, experiencing togetherness should define church as much as it defines the Trinity. He continues, it is the life we create together with fellow members that portrays the image of God to non-believers. The primary issue is not the private holiness of the individual Christian. The point is that an entire people give witness to God's plan for the world. Maybe you've been trying to do this Christianity thing on your own. Some people are afraid to let others get too close to them. They simply want to come to worship like this, check in and check out, and then go back to their private living and their private lives during the week. Don't bother me. However, this is not biblical Christianity. I want to repeat, it is not biblical Christianity. God has called you to so much more. You were designed for relationships. Primarily a relationship, yes, with Jesus, characterized by, of course, Bible study and prayer and Christian witness. However, this is only one part of your Christian experience. God is also calling you, in the context of relationships, to live out your Christian experience with others. 
God has also called you to grow uh, spiritually. And by the way, do you know that some of the deepest, in my experience, some of the deepest and most long-lasting spiritual growth that you will ever experience is in the context of loving community? Sharing mutually with other people. Hearing from them. How are they experiencing the Word of God in their lives? You know, as the church and Acts continue to grow, they didn't just stop with merely being spiritually fed. You know, I hear people often say, Pastor, I want to be fed when I come. But they didn't just stop there. Their love for one another began to take on action. As we pick up the story in verse 44. In verse 45, verse 44, it says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need, as anyone had need. They began to identify needs among themselves and then subsequently in the larger community. And they began to generously meet those needs. Now, can you imagine the impact that this had on the non-believers in their surrounding community? As they grew in Jesus out of a heart of love, they began to serve one another generously based on their needs. And watch this if you're taking notes. Community is compellingly beautiful when we serve like Jesus. When we serve like Jesus. Remember that same young lady I told you about? She was a Pentecostal. She was the first person I had ever baptized. I remember when it was time for me to get ready to pack up and go up to the seminary at Andrews University, which, by the way, I thought I left the winters in Michigan. It seems like it's followed me here. My wife and I were joking this morning. We were saying, you know, uh, we didn't land in Berrien Springs. Berrien Springs landed on us here in Michigan. But I remember when it was time for us to go there, and uh, the same young lady, now, I remember I told you I had spent time with her painstakingly walking through the gospel, through our beliefs and so forth, and when the time came for us to leave and we were packing up our house, getting our clothes and everything ready, we got a knock on the door. And she stood there with her brand new baby boy in hand, infant, with her husband. And she says, we're here to help clean your house and we're not taking no for an answer. And I watched in astonishment as this, as this young lady took her baby and put the baby on the ground in a blanket right next to her as she got on her hands and knees and cleaned our house, bathrooms included. And I stood there in astonishment because, number one, I said, would I do that? I'm just keeping it real. I'm not as holy as you might think. <laughs> um, number two, I said to myself, she taught me just then more about Jesus than I ever taught her the Bible studies. To this day, she's one of the most Christ-like people that I know. She taught me more about Jesus than I ever taught her through her actions. And the truth is that people, you've heard it before, will not care how much you know until they know what? How much you care. And our care for them becomes clearest to them when we serve them based on needs, felt needs. I want you to notice something about the life of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus spent the majority of his life on earth in what would seem to be abject obscurity, what would seem to be silence, 30 years, only a few glimpses in the Gospels of what he actually may have said and did? That speaks, his silence speaks volumes to us today. 
because he spent three and a half years preaching and teaching in addition to the serving that he was doing. As a matter of fact, we're told he spent more of his time healing and serving people and meeting their needs and socializing with them than he did preaching and teaching. 30 years of living amongst us, being incarnational, finding out what our needs and what, were, what our experiences are. Maybe his parables were framed in the context of what he had seen and experienced in the lives of people. 30 years serving in the carpenter shop. He may have made one of the pews, you know. That says a lot to us, doesn't it? I know as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I grew up and I, 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 I felt that I needed to make sure, number one, that they understood the Sabbath. And I had to immediately make sure that they had all their doctrine correct. And those things are wonderfully important, but I'm realizing more and more today that people need to see my sermon before they ever hear it. The Holy Spirit has given us spiritual gifts to be used to edify the body of Christ and to serve our larger communities. And how dare we sit on what God has so graciously given us to bring healing and wholeness to others. For some people, the clearest revelation of Jesus they will ever see is when you roll up your sleeves, get in their lives and meet their needs. The world is hungry for you to reveal Jesus to them as you serve them like he did. But here's the most important thing I want you to leave with today. What is the most stunning thing to me in this story in the book of Acts? Which, by the way, in Acts chapter 2, it begins with community. There's preaching and it ends with community. Acts 2 begins with community. It ends with spirit-filled community. But I want you to understand everything I just mentioned to you about them connecting people to Jesus, about them growing in Jesus, about them serving like Jesus. All of it finds itself in a beautiful context that I want you to see with me real quick in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. This is where we're going to land the plane this morning. The Bible says, so continuing what? Daily, Daily with one accord in the? In the? And breaking bread from? House to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And I love this because it's like the ending of a beautiful story and novel. And the Lord did what? Added to the church daily those that were being saved. Notice, with the exception of the large gathering in the temple, most of what we were just seeing, most of what they were experiencing was happening house to house, house to house. It was in these loving environments, gathering in each other's homes that the Lord could, watch this, trust them daily with new disciples. Someone's going to hear what I'm saying this morning. Just let that sink in for a moment. Could it be that it's not merely what we're saying, but how we're saying it in loving community? That speaks more volumes than a sermon? We need sermons. Peter preached. But immediately, what we would have seen as a megachurch immediately went house to house. Immediately went house to house. 
Did you catch that? I want you to catch this as well. This is how the early church rapidly expanded throughout the Roman Empire. It was in the context, it was in this context that the Bible says that the Lord, not Peter and his preaching, not the 12 apostles, not even Paul, it says the Lord added daily to them those that were being saved. In other words, Jesus was the primary evangelist. And I want to tell you today, he still is. <laughs> it was he that was drawing the hearts of many into these loving communities because community is compellingly beautiful to those Jesus is drawing to it. And I experienced that very sharply recently. I was at Panera Bread. How many of you like going to Panera Bread? You know, I'm trying to avoid Panera Bread because I have a sweet tooth. But I sometimes go there for ministry, you know, I just sit there with my laptop. Ministry. If DJ was there, she'd be slapping my hand. No, you can't have that, CJ. I'm there, and, and that evening, we were going through a series at our church, an evangelistic effort at our church just the beginning of this year in January, and I was going to be preaching that Friday night. So, you know, I'm working on my sermon. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing to preach to the lost. You see, I got I to I I get in my sermon. So I'm there, and as I'm sitting there in the, uh, all the way in the back, trying to be all you know, incognito by myself, there's a lady sitting across from me, nature called. I said, I got to use the bathroom. I had all my stuff with me, my bag, my laptop, my phone. And I did something that I normally never do. Because I didn't want to take all that stuff, put it in my bag, and I have to go to the bathroom, come right back only for a few seconds. So I went to somebody and said, can you please just watch my stuff? I never do that. But I said, can you please just watch my stuff? I took my phone. And she said, oh, sure, that's no problem. Go to the bathroom, come back. Thank you so much. I sit back down to get back into my sermon, because I got to rend the, the lost, you know? Anyway, she's sitting across from me, and I start to hear her calling to me out of the corner of my ear. I was so engrossed, it kind of came faintly, you know? So I, I said, oh, I'm sorry, yes? She says, I'm sorry, is that a New Testament that you're reading? I had a much smaller Bible, so maybe she thought it was just one Testament. I said, no, actually, this is the, the entire Bible. It's the Old and the New Testament. It's a, it's, it was a precious Bible to me, a smaller Bible, it was a gift of my, my uh, late mother-in-law who passed away. And so, you know, I always keep that one around with me when I go out. And she says, oh, I'm seeking for truth, too. I'm be real, uh, you know, I said earlier, I'm not as holy as y'all think, y'all may think I am. I said, Jesus, I'm trying to win the lost. You know, I'm working on my sermon. And she's interrupting my sermon. I'm preaching tonight. She says, I'm searching, I'm searching for truth, too. As I listened to her some more, she said, I left my previous denomination because I felt there was more truth to be gained, she said. And here's what's interesting. She said that she's now been spending the last eight months studying with the Jehovah's Witness. And the more we talk, and please, please, please um, not that I'm the expert here, but I did something. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit got, eventually got a hold of my heart, amen? <laughs> and I sat and I, I spent the majority of that time just listening to her. About 20 minutes of the conversation, I just listened, smiled and nodded, even though I may have heard some things that I was like, good theological, but, but wow, you're on a journey, aren't you? And she continued to share. Holy Spirit began to say to me, 
she doesn't get the gospel yet. I need you to focus on Jesus with her. He began to give me some texts. Share this with her. Ask her this about Jesus. Who is Jesus? What did he do for you on that cross? She says a, she says a, uh, a stake, I think they say, instead of a cross. But I said, what, what did he do for you on that cross? What did that, what did that accomplish for you? And who is he to you? That's, by the way, the central question, by the way, when you're dealing with people. And you know, she struggled through that question. And the Holy Spirit said, share with her the gospel. I said, do you know that Jesus declared you righteous at the cross before you were even born? Before you even had a, an inclination toward Jesus, when you were dead in your sins, Jesus reconciled you to the Father by his death on the cross. But now after you receiving Jesus... He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit to now make you what he just declared you on the cross. He has declared you righteous while he is now making you righteous. Stay with Jesus. He will complete the work he has begun in you. Your salvation is entirely in the hands of who? Jesus. So who do you need to abide in? Jesus. Simple. I mean, the light bulb, it was like, I, I, it's like I shared with her a million dollars. But then she said something that just blew my socks off. She says, okay, well, what about this Sabbath thing? I'm like, wow, like the Lord just, I'm like, I'm trying to preach to the lost. And God's like, no, put that aside right now. I, got, I already brought them to you right here. Jesus is the primary evangelist. And he will mess up your Panera Bread experience to get some lost people in your life. How many of you understand that they are all around you and all Jesus is asking you to do is raise your spiritual awareness? I know when I say evangelism to some people, all kinds of images come into their mind. Do you know your evangelism? I'm re- I'm, as I grow, I'm realizing that this is a lot more simple than we make it. It's a lot more organic than we make it. Do you know your evangelism starts with your devotional life? Do you know that? As you're being filled with the love and the presence of God, it naturally has to overflow. I see a beautiful couple over here, I believe. If you're in love, you don't have to think about talking about your special somebody. You're just going to be talking. You're smiling right now. You're going to be sitting next to somebody. You know, my, my boo, you know, sometimes people have to say, CJ, you, you know, my wife has to say, CJ, remember where you are. We're in church right now, CJ. You know, because I, I mean, I love my wife my arm around it. You don't have to think so. So as you're falling in love with Jesus, begin to pray for people that you know God has placed in your sphere of influence, in your devotional experience, in the Word of God, every day. Just pray for them. Because guess what I found? You can't pray for somebody long enough and God not give you opportunity to speak to them. Do you know that? Prove it. Write their name down. Just five people. Write their names down. Just start praying for them because Jesus is the primary evangelist. The Lord added daily to them those that were being saved. They simply created the loving environment. Jesus did the work. And as they're going about doing what they do every day, bam, the Holy Spirit gives them an opportunity. Bam, they end up having a conversation when they're out there fishing. Bam. Here comes the Panera Bread experience and conversation that you weren't anticipating. You didn't have to put it on like a jacket. I'm going to go now do evangelism? No, you just put on Christ and watch him do it. You just need to be available. 
I like to say he is the author and finisher of your faith, and he's the author and finisher, watch this, of your witness. He does it. It takes the pressure off. Stay with him. Be connected with him. You're in the neighborhood that you are. We're going to talk about that later on this afternoon. You're in the neighborhood that you are for a reason. You're on the job. You're in the profession you are for a reason. It's not coincidence. That person comes to you at your cooler at your desk every day. They feel comfortable talking with you. It's for a reason. It's not an accident. Your struggles, they're watching you. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond in faith, though you may cry? You're trusting Jesus? They need to see that. Right now, where you are. He's the author and finisher of your witness. Friends, I want to tell you, there is coming a day Oh, mercy. There is coming a day. I'm just I'm going to go ahead and just start to wrap up. There's so much I want to share with you guys. We're going we're gonna to talk some more this afternoon. Um, there is coming a day when we won't have these beautiful pews and buildings to worship in. Do you know that? Do you know that this church will need to learn how to survive in persecution? This church will need to learn how to survive without any any structure? Could it be that God is whispering something to us that we need to begin to develop as community before he returns? Should we not be learning how to be community? I'm not talking about just checking in one day a week and how are you doing? Happy Sabbath. You know, I'm talking about authenticity. I'm talking about being real. I'm talking about being in each other's homes where you're not wearing a suit. I love dressing up but you're actually being who you are? Growing together in Jesus Christ, doing life together, identifying what the needs really are in the body of who needs a ride to church. I know because I'm communing, we're in community during the week. Who needs their, their child to be prayed over? I know that because I really know you now. Jesus is calling us to this type of experience before he Returns. I told you at the beginning, in closing, <laughs> DJ and I have this joke. I'm getting ready to close. I'm getting ready to close. I really am. Um, I told you that the first small group was the Godhead. And one of the things that I've experienced in over 10 years of ministry doing small groups is whenever a group gets to a place where they've grown, they've, got, they, they, they've, they've, they've not only embraced the nurturing aspect of small groups, but they've embraced the mission the missional component of small group, they've grown, and they're now ready to multiply. People are hanging out of the window in their apartment, you know, and there's just so much people there, that when it comes time for them to split, it's almost like a divorce. They've grown so close. Ain't nobody want to go meet in this group over here and this group over here. How many of you know that the first small group, as Jesus went up to Calvary, because of our sin, because of the breaking of community. Because we have been separated from God and Jesus is now going up that cross because he loves you and because he wants to restore you to the image of God, the divine community. The first small group was threatening to split on the cross. And Jesus, when he's there on the cross, knows 
in his humanity, watch me, that this could be it. We're told that it was almost as though he could not see beyond the portals of the tomb. Though just a few hours before, he had said, I will be with you in paradise. He could speak in faith. But as it got to the darkest hour after 12 o'clock, Jesus in his humanity could not see beyond the tomb. For him, separation from his father was a reality in his experience. But he said to those of you here at CCC, heaven is not a place that I desire to be. If you cannot experience the compelling beauty of the divine community for eternity. And I am willing to sacrifice the beautiful communion that I've had with my father forever. One preacher said, the reason he is a Christian today is when the devil wrung the heart of Jesus and he could have got, the temptation was he could have gotten off that cross. That's why the crowd and, the, and, 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 and those that were wagging their heads, as it says in Matthew 27, they were saying, get down off that cross if you are the son of God. Does that not sound familiar? In the desert, if you are the son of God, the devil was there at the cross. But the reason he says that I, I'm a preacher today, I'm a Christian today rather, is that Jesus in that moment loved you, loved me, wretched as we are, far and above him loving himself or loving his relationship with the Father. He said, listen, I've already experienced eternity past with the Father. I want you to experience eternity present and future with him. He's inviting us into the, into the divine community. He's inviting us to replicate the divine community. The world is waiting to see in us the divine community. Would you stand with me if that's your desire? I want to experience that in reality today. I want to experience communion with the Father. I want to experience the compelling beauty of that divine community. Now I know under the sound of my voice, there may be someone today who simply says, you know, I realized what he did for me. I heard some things today. I'm not a part of this community of faith, but you know what? I'd like to take the journey to understand how Jesus is revealed in this community of faith, if that's you. I simply am asking you to raise your hand, is that you? You wanna at least begin to explore the Jesus that we see in this community of faith. I just wanna celebrate your decision, all right? Now you may be here today as well, and you say, you know what, I've never fully made that commitment. You may have been raised in the church, a church, maybe not this one but you've never fully surrendered your life. And you know it. That abiding relationship I was talking about earlier, you're sensing that maybe that's not my experience, but you say, I wanna begin that journey. 
I want to get on the path towards an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that you today? Is that you today? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Jesus, we love you. But not because we're good, not because we know how to muster up this kind of love, but because we love you because you first loved us. It is by love that love is awakened. And so God, I, I, I can't muster up the kind of love that needs to take place, Lord, in a small group setting. I can't muster it up, even as a pastor. I can't even muster up enough love to love my wife effectively. But I know as you get a hold of my heart, Jesus, I know that as I abide with you in a relationship daily, every day, that you begin to do something that is supernatural, something that I can't produce, something that exceeds anything that we could even try to explain with all of our knowledge today in the 21st century. It is something that when people see it, they go, what is that? I want that. Please, Jesus, I know you've brought this church to this time for such a time as this. Lord, arise amongst CCC. Lord, break loose in this congregation, Lord. Let your love explode out of every member. Make community begin to develop in such a deeper way than they've already been experiencing, God, that the people in their sphere of influence, naturally, organically, because you are the one adding daily those that are being saved, you're drawing them to us, Lord. We're being available. Please, God, let this be a reality. I pray a blessing over this congregation. Heal, Lord Jesus, those that are grieving with heavy hearts. Heal, Lord Jesus, those that are sick. God, heal, Lord Jesus, those that have financial difficulties. Lord, heal their finances, Lord. Heal their marriage, Lord. Heal their, their children, their relationships, Lord. God, you're the one that restores us, Lord. We sang that God restores you can do it. You've promised to do it, to complete the work that you've begun in us. Lord, may we believe that. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word. May we abide in your word and begin to have a faith that trusts you, even though we can't trace your hand always. Thank you, Jesus, for being here and speaking to us. In Jesus' name, let everyone say amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter 
by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.